Welcome to the Next in Q podcast, a not so safe space for all kinds of news, views, and dialogue. Brought to you by Quilliam International. Welcome back to Next in Q, and uh, this is part two of a two part discussion with Andrew Copson, where we're talking about how secularism, liberalism can be made to work for religious conservatives. In the first part of the podcast, we talked about the romanticization of religious conservatism, but also the uh, extent to which a secular framework provides the best way of living for religious conservatives in a pluralist society. Uh, And we talked about the position that uh, children in particular in religiously conservative societies were uh, left in, where particularly with reference to Haredi Jewish communities, but also Mm. a range of other communities, children have a right to be informed of the possibilities that life offers, including the ability for critical thought. I'm going to slightly change tack on on, uh, this, uh, because from the point of view of dissenters, obviously uh, a liberal society and these sorts of skills are vital, but they can also... A secular approach can also be destructive of those religious communities. And I think it's important to realise that for people living in such communities, their continuation is also an important thing. How do we we deal with that? Well, it is difficult because, of course, what we're really talking about is giving people freedom of choice. Um, And there are, let's just put it bluntly, there are many ways of living that, given the choice, people don't continue with. Um, and I think that uh, we were talking about uh, Hasidic Judaism. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that um, the majority of children in that community would leave and get out if they knew it was an option and if they were fully exposed to the possibilities. But I think over time, actually, probably um, that would happen. Um, are you sure about that? Yeah. Because, I, I'm, you know, I mean, we are The evidence of seeing... history, I think, is on my side in that respect. We like to think so because we're culturally liberal, but in fact, you know, is isn't sort of aren't social trends a bit more cyclical? I mean, people do. Im- well, there are absolutely. Well, I'll put it a different yeah. way, Andrew. I mean, there there are people for whom a life which is structured by religious observance, in which there is moral certainty, in which there are strong yes. and uh, coherent uh, um, uh, community institutions, yes. is the best form of life possible. There, there are such people. I agree completely. All I'm saying is that most people raised in that environment if the full range of options were available to them i think probably wouldn't stay in it um and you know that's one of those social experiments you can never run right but but i mean you can i mean you know there have been communities well, where there have the been turns to but there have been communities where people have turned to religiosity there are, i mean i know a number of people who were brought up in a completely irreligious uh, uh, background who at the age of uh, 18 or 20 decided that they wanted to live a life which was uh, more morally structured. I have family members. Of course there are people like that. Of course there are people like that. And I, I'm not saying there aren't. I'm saying that um, that given the options, a majority of people raised that way will move on. I mean, there there is data on this um, in terms of how likely you are or are not to be to have religious beliefs if you've got one religious parent or two religious parents or no religious parents. If you've got no religious parents, you're vanishingly unlikely to um, ever adopt uh, religious beliefs. But that might be because you've not if, got the skills in order to live a life and if of you've religious. Well, it might be. Um, And if you've got 
Maybe, well, maybe actually, and there might be a case for making sure that people are educated with that as an option too. I mean, I'm, I'm, mm. of course that's right. Because we're proper liberals. Yeah, exactly. So that, that should so. be an option. Yeah. Um, but if, if you've got two religious parents, then you're still 50% not likely to be religious either. So, I mean, the, 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 the generationally, the, the, the move is away from religious Is that, um, but I'm not sure that's true because, um, well, I it mean, is true. I mean, it's just, it's data true. Well, it's it, it, may, it may be data true <laughs> during the, the the period that you're looking For the at. The last forty it. years but, in but the UK. One of the yeah, interesting that's things true. is uh, the the shift to yeah, the Jordan Peterson movement is a good example of um, a, a generation that was brought up with uh, completely open moral uh, options who have chosen. And I've been to see uh, him speak, and I was ex- it was an extraordinary thing because I was in a room filled with people who were by and large in their their 20s who were essentially paying to hear somebody deliver a message which was we ought to behave in a responsible way we ought to take responsibility for our own actions we ought to uh identify moral principles and stick to them uh, that is an attractive message for many well, people. yeah but what's uh, that's been a bedrock of morality religious and non-religious in this country within our lifetimes and living memory i mean i, I don't that's not a revelation I don't know who Jordan Peterson is, I'm afraid. I thought that he was the model Jordan until relatively recently, right. because that's how little I know <laughs> about various people. They are different people. They are um, different people. But the point I'm making is that... that but he, that there, doesn't there, seem to me as if that was a, that's not a revolution. But there is a mindset. Uh, there is a particular cast of personality in which you might prefer not to have completely unlimited uh, uh, moral options. You would like to have a programme for the living of your life. Well, of course, your options close down over time because you close them down. I mean, you know, um, the choices that you make or also the beliefs that appeal to you through the course of your life does... I mean, no one goes around... To, to have to have freedom of choice is not to say that you're going to choose everything every day, you know, and that you should choose nothing. I mean, of course, freedom of choice means that you do choose something. Um, and... Um, I think it's a confusion uh, to think that liberalism or humanism specifically, since that's sort of what we're talking about now, actually, and the sort of common sense humanism of, of, of our liberal, non-religious society um, is a very definite choice. I mean, there are all sorts of things excluded from that. Um, nihilism is excluded from that, you know, the idea um, that nothing matters. It, rampant individualism uh, is excluded uh, from that. Um, and I, I think people are uh, pretty moral in our society overall. Um, tr- that's true of both the religious and the non-religious. I, I suppose I, I find it difficult to, to discuss this way because I don't, I don't think that religion really adds anything to morality. And I think, and the evidence is with me there, of course, as well. Is it's, 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 it makes very little difference actually to people's um, moral decision at the population level. You know. People who are going to do the right thing, do the right thing. People who are going to do uh, the wrong thing, a smaller number, do the wrong thing. And fair even proportions of them are religious and, and, uh, and non-religious. So I, I think we might have actually got a bit distracted by discussing this topic because I still think that if the, if the fundamental question is um, whether or not people, you know, given the choice, would cleave uh, consistently... Um, to the beliefs and practices of their parents and ancestors or might instead over time uh, live different lives, I think that instead over time they will live different lives. The fundamental point, though, is that uh, secularism is a structure within which 
people can choose and fully enjoy those yes. different choices and I think, of, of, of Yes, and I think what and you might have put your finger on, actually, is the extent to which secularism actually does, in its manifestations at least... Uh, in the de facto secularism of this country, or maybe the secularism of France, maybe even the secularism of America, to what extent does it actually offer genuine choice? Um, We've been talking about um, making sure that the children of religious parents get uh, the freedom to choose non-religious ways of living or be aware of um, society. I think it's quite a good uh, challenge to think about the, the ways in which the secular state might do the other part of that and offer which is what um, well make make available to the children of non-religious parents the religious answers and options and ways of living um and make sure that they're equally exposed to them i mean that's something the united states as a secular state doesn't do it doesn't but but, you know in its own schools uh, almost by definition the secular state ought to be stepping out of that function you know this is an, an area for private religious enterprise surely well, not, not, I think, the information. I mean, the United States doesn't even teach about religions, different religions and so on. Well, some, some, some states do, but, but, you know, most don't. Oh, I think you're allowed. I mean, really, I'm just wondering uh, aloud whether or not um, you've sort of inadvertently put your finger on a problem with uh, secularism because it, it, it is a reaction, isn't it, in historical terms? It's not inadvertent. I mean, I'm doing oh, this sorry, deliberately. <laughs> quite, quite deliberately. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, we, we, one of my questions in the first part of this podcast was why do we treat religious belief separately from but any I don't other think form this of this is relevant belief? to that. Well, do we, I don't think You know, why do we worry about a state teaching religion but not worry about a state teaching a, a moral framework that doesn't have a supernatural aspect? Well, we do worry about that, though. We do worry about that. I mean, are you saying that the analogy for religion is the sort of... Um, approach to morality that we've been discussing as uh, thinking critically and, and so on and so forth. I'm thinking of that, but I'm also thinking of, of the other things that, that might also find itself into a religious uh, context. You know, treating your neighbour as yourself is something which could equally be a religious or non-religious principle. Well, it's a, it's a pretty universal principle, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. How would one construct the moral education curriculum uh, for a truly secular state. I mean, mm-hmm. there are plenty of books about this. Um, one of the best I've read recently is um, mm-hmm. A Theory of Moral Education by, by Michael Hand. And he argues pretty convincingly that um, there are things that, beyond any of the particular um, beliefs um, of religions or humanism, I think he would say as well, um, there are certain moral principles um, that he builds on social instincts in order to deduce and that are necessary for um, common living right. that are sort of beyond reproach, if you see what I mean, that, they, that the state would be completely... Ju- he's a philosopher of education, that the state I mean, would be completely very, justified. And this sounds like um, a natural in, law, in but without God uh, argument, Yeah, I mean, it? well, he's a, I don't, he's, he's a complicated... He's not, he's not writing from a humanist point of view, but um, it's... No, I don't think it's... Not, well, it's not natural law because he's not saying, you know, that it's somehow like in a platonic sense sort of out there and inviolable as a principle. He's saying it just happens to uh, to be the case in practice. I think he's quite pragmatic about it. He's sort of saying, you know, these are for these are prudential values for, for common living, you know, for uh, human societies as they are. Um, and he doesn't suggest they shouldn't be challenged, you know, 
in the context of the curriculum in, in later ages, for example, in, 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 in higher years. Um, but I think his, I mean, his reasoning is book length, so we can't go into it now, but I think his case is pretty strong that there are um, certain moral values that could be inculcated by a, a secular school you know, in a way that is effectively beyond reproach because um, they're either so shared or so indispensable to the common living that, after all, allows that school to even exist as a state-funded uh, institution in a complicated modern society. But, I mean, we'd have to read that to, to discuss it. But um, I, I, let, let me say at least that I think that that's a possibility um, and so that the possibility of the of the secular school as an institution of the secular state making moral choices um, without thereby limiting the freedom of religion belief for parents is possible. Circumcision. Okay, well, what now? <laughs> that is, in fact, one of the things we talked about. We on, did, we on, did. Uh, on the, the train. And circumcision seems to be to be a, a, a good sort of uh, hard case, so to speak. So to speak. Um, uh, that that um, it's a, an issue on which uh, Humanist UK have a position. Yes, um, that's true. And, it's, yeah. uh, and, and it is a good sort of test case of how we sort of deal with uh, the consequences of of that uh position in practice both within a state that permits uh male circumcision and states which prohibit it um i mean i'm talking about non-medical circumcision in childhood uh, which is something that that, that, that most most muslims uh will practice and all jews will uh, do at eight days uh Judaism is a religion which uh, has a well. Christianity is a religion which actually has a festival of of Jesus's circumcision. Does it really? Uh, but but uh, but it also mm. has a lot of. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it also has a um, uh, a Acts fifteen talks specifically about the uh, the lack of need for non Jews uh, who follow Jesus to be circumcised. So it has a solution. That was handy <laughs> for well, the it, spread of that particular. Well it, well, it was, but it's also. I mean, it's a very interesting question which we don't have time to get into uh, on this podcast. But it all goes back to the uh, the way I think in which the Jerusalem Church thought of um, the nature of the covenant between uh, uh, God and man generally and god and the jews specifically but this is absolutely outside the scope of of the podcast right (laughs) there's a practical aspect uh here in terms of consequences which is that were you to ban circumcision uh which is one of the things that humanist uk would like to uh, achieve uh well non-medical circumcision of minors right let's be very specific were the humanists to succeed in its campaign to have the non-medical circumcision of minors banned, that would be the end of much of Muslim life in Britain, and it would be the end of Jewish life in Britain for all but the completely non-observant, because it's a position which is held across all denominations within Judaism. Is that a price worth paying? I don't know. You're right that it's the price. I don't know if it's a price worth paying. I think that the questions to balance against each other are clear. On the one hand, um, should uh, bits of children's bodies be cut off against their will um, because their parents want it? Or do you violate their parents' freedom of religion to prevent a practice that you know um, is seen as intrinsic to their 
um, religious life. Um, I, I know it's not very fashionable, but I just don't know. I don't know if that would be a price worth paying. I recognise that that's the trade. That would be the trade off. Yeah. Um, if you ever have this discussion, it's important to openly recognise uh, that. And absolutely, that's an extremely good and, and starting point for any. Such I mean, discussion. I had a discussion. I had this discussion when um, the court in Germany ruled in, in, on a child's rights um, basis um, that. Uh, infant you know non-medical circumcision shouldn't be allowed um, or banned as you put it um, but it shouldn't be allowed well not allowing one word's more loaded than another yeah. um and um rabbi jonathan Romain and i went on the today program to discuss it and it was the today program so it was pretty ding dong but you know um but because we're friends and we know each other it was less ding dong than it than it, than it might have been and you know i did acknowledge that and um he also said a very peculiar thing that i've never um heard from him before because i consider him a very reasonable person but that he he said that he didn't he hadn't wanted to have his son circumcised he was angry at it you know but he did it because it was his religious um obligation which i thought was a very interesting uh, bit of sociology or a bit of psychology depending on how you want to look at it um I mean, I think sometimes the, the concept of proportionality is a helpful one here. You know, you have to identify the nature of the harm and the extent of the harm. And I'm uh, not convinced, though, that you don't, that the proportionality test doesn't fail here because, you know, just babies have been circumcised for a very long time. And so you've sort of normalised it. I mean, it might be one of those things that is just absolutely horrendous, but that we're doing all the time, like... Um, like, well, like a lot of uh, things that, that people do, and then you like slavery was, or you know, or any sort of human institution that you think it's a bit disproportionate to um, you know prevent this when it's been done for so long to so many people. And by the way, to me, usually as people are making this argument, you know, because it's very personal, I recognise that as well. Like for someone, it's almost a dictionary definition of personal. Absolutely, really, so. you know, there's nothing, hardly anything that men feel stronger about than their own penises in all sorts of ways. And if you say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be circumcised or shouldn't circumcise your children, not only are you then criticising this person's decision about their own children, which again is one of the most personal things that you can do, you're also criticising their parents for what they did to them and inviting them to consider that their parents may have harmed them i mean it's, it's, it couldn't be a more emotional and difficult um topic or subject um, i mean it's made more sort of emotional and difficult where r religions effectively create a uh, a religious and ceremonial structure yes, around exactly. it yeah, so yeah. you know you can't go past a photographers in hackney without seeing uh, celebration photographs of children from Turkish and Kurdish communities yes, on the occasion yeah, of their yeah. circumcision. Yeah. yeah, in Judaism, there is a uh, the the festival of Hanukkah is in part a right. festival of how Jews managed to keep on circumcising in circumstances where an evil state prevented them from doing so. So it's very bound up in the culture of religion. Yeah, I mean that's right. I agree. It's. Uh it's it's and, and and circumcision wherever it is practiced actually has this strong cultural import. I mean, whether that's Uganda or you know anywhere. I mean, circumcision is not uncommon um, uh, across the world. Um, but so, by I mean, I just, but proportionality. The argument I was running here was, we, we you have to quantify the nature and the extent of the harm and weigh that over the impact of of the. I, I agree. I agree with that. But so and I don't know. So what I don't know is how easily. Um, people might give up circumcision. I mean, so for example, um, and I think you might want to discuss it in a moment, that um, there's 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 a, a related question about the um, uh, 
unstunned slaughter. Yeah, I was. That, that, that is my very next question. Oh, okay. You, I mean, these are the two hard we, cases well, of shall, the day. Shall we segue well, into that? Well, let as me. Well. Yeah, yeah. So, if you think about this in contrast with, well, in contrast as you said it, but if you think about it in in contrast with the um, unstunned slaughter of animals, um, people said, oh, if you if you don't allow the unstunned slaughter of animals, that will be an end of um, halal uh, slaughter. But in jurisdictions that have banned the unstunned slaughter of animals, imams pretty quickly have deduced ways in which actually the meat is still halal, right? You know, for example, say Norway or New Zealand. Um, I mean, there, there and, are differences between schools and uh, yeah, different yeah. schools have taken different but views. Practice, so you will find some imams who say this is absolutely fine and our school has always said this is fine. And then there are... Well, the, I think uh, that would happen o- over said, time. You know, I think know. that would happen over time uh, anywhere that you um, uh, introduced uh, stricter laws against animal suffering. Actually, I think that would happen over time. Um, and if it didn't, I mean, in a sense, it begs the question. Um, if you think that a particular practice is harmful... <sighs> Religious or not, it should be prohibited. It's always a lot easier to prohibit things that other people are doing that you aren't doing yourself. Of course, and it is. Um, uh, uh, one of the parallels that, that that I think about when I think about the uh, the religiously mandated slaughter methods is uh, the existence of factory farming uh, and industrial slaughter methods that allow. Uh, us to buy. Uh, sorry, Andrew. Are you a vegetarian? Ah, you see, you're going to run into trouble now, aren't you? Because you're about to accuse me of all sorts of bene- not... benefiting from all sorts of factory no, no, I'm, farming. I'm, 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 I'm a, a member my... of Compassionate World Farming. I'll have you know. I'm right. a regular donor. Do and you, I, and do I would. You... Do you buy £3.50 chickens from Tesco? No, I don't. But you of don't. course, that's because I'm lucky because enough that I don't it. have to. Exactly. Right. Um, uh, yes, I mean, you, you, but, but, I mean, I understand the point that you're making. Um, however, um, the world is thankfully increasingly full with people who are willing to make an ethical choice now. Um, well, hence, if they can afford to do so, I mean, these or, are or things to become vegetarians, right? And, and many people do become which vegetarians. Cheaper, but, but, it, but, but the point I'm making is a more basic one, which is that that if you were to stick up a post so, do I saying, think the state should, for example, make it impo- a future? Let's take it as an example. Should the state prohibit the slaughter of animals? Right, right. Or or to put it another way, if you were to run a campaign saying we are going to prohibit the slaughter of animals, or we're going to be, we are going to prohibit the uh, industrial farming of chickens, so that a chicken will go up in price from three pounds to ten, fifteen pounds, um, would that be a popular? Uh, campaign. Do you is the think, question popularity now? Well, the, well I would mean, it be it would sufficiently be, popular for you to be able to achieve legislative change as a result of that? Campaign? I thought the question was whether or not the prohibition was proportionate, not whether it should, you know, would be popular and successful. Well, the, no, there are two separate and related questions. I'll answer uh, your question. But, but, yes. my, but, my, I, but, my, think, but, but you are a campaigning organisation, so the question is, you know, what campaign is most likely to have success? Um, I would think that the consumption of meat will be banned before the circumcision of babies right. in this country. They're both extremely that unlikely. Or, that may or may not happen. Um, but I, uh, I, I would think that there would be... I mean, this is a question, as, as you say, um, where uh, one... So, so someone would have to say... So I would have to say, OK, I think that um, the factory farming of... Uh, or the the conditions that cause suffering in in, in various non human animals in the food industry um, should be prohibited, which after all is what the um, 
prohibition on unstone ritual slaughter is. I mean, it's the Farm Animal Welfare Council that is arguing for it. You know, there are organisations like us who are pointing out that the religious opt-out that exists at the moment is only there because of religion and therefore should it be there at all. But it's the Farm Animal Welfare Council and, and groups of like the ISPCA who are saying that unstone ritual slaughter is bad. So you'd have to have um, people who were, were saying, OK, a law should be passed um, saying that, let's take the extreme example, meat production is over because... Um, it's actually impossible to um, produce meat without animal suffering. Animal suffering is wrong, you know, is immoral. Um, animals are capable of suffering and therefore right. we've got a moral obligation not to cause it. Um, and if that were on the cards, um, I think probably personally actually I would support that campaign. Um, there's nothing better than the law to, to make you do things that you realise you should probably be doing anyway um, in terms of morality. But then um, another campaign would have to come along um, to make the analogy with, with circumcision or which was sort of say, no, no, you know, um, uh, the, the, the suffering of animals um, is, you know, good or acceptable because it allows us to um, eat meat and eating meat is a great thing. Well, is that the sort of analogy that you're proposing I, I'm going to give you my killer question, which is, uh, you're a secularist, not an atheist. Uh, you're a humanist, not an animal welfareist. So what does any of this have to do with uh, secularism and liberalism? Why, or to put it another way, why are we worrying about animal welfare when what we should be worrying about as humanists is uh, the welfare of humans? Well, there are two two answers to that it's a secularist issue in that religious slaughter is only allowed because there is a an opt-out from animal welfare law specifically for religious groups so the question is because because any secularist will ask themselves um whether it's uh legitimate and proportionate to have an exemption from a general law for particular religious groups um that's that's prime meat so to speak for secularism um it's for me. It's a, and for me, and this is personal. Um, it's a humanist uh, issue because um, you know one of the one of the points about humanist morality is that it's based not on rules and commandments, um, but on consequences of our actions and on empathy for suffering and the elimination of suffering and the uh, increase of uh, happiness and pleasure in this world and ever since jeremy bentham said the question is not can they reason but can they suffer humanist morality has expanded beyond the morality of theistic religions in particular to embrace the conditions of those animals that can also suffer and so that's why it's uh, animal suffering is relevant but couldn't um, humanism be morality. i mean shouldn't humanism be prioritizing uh, humans over, no i don't think uh, so i think that humanism i mean of course the the the, the name humanism it dates from a time when the great contrast in ethical debate was between the human and the divine but um a humanist approach to ethics and uh, the basis of ethics as i've just outlined is about suffering and pleasure and if there are entities in this universe which are capable of suffering in a human-like way um, then we have a moral duty to minimize that suffering well, why should there be the a single humanist uh, uh, ethical approach to these things? Why could there not be a multiplicity of humanist uh, approaches? I think that that's... Or, or, or put it yeah, again, yeah. to put it another way, if there's only one, how is that different from a no, religion? No, there isn't only one. There isn't only one. You asked me why this was a humanist position, um, and it is a humanist position. It's not the humanist position. Um, I think a, it is a humanist position um, that 
animals, non-human animals um, that are capable of suffering um, should not be made to suffer by human beings for their own ends. I mean, that is a humanist position. Um, it's not the only one. Um, and um, indeed, there may be other humanists who would say that the religious fulfillment of human beings would somehow trump and be an acceptable um, uh, balance um, for the suffering of non-human animals. There are people who would say that. I mean, I assume that people who accept the premise that animals can suffer, non-human animals can suffer, would effectively be making that argument when they are saying that um, Jews and Muslims should be allowed to continue to make animals suffer more than they otherwise would by using the methods that they uh, want to use to, to slaughter those animals for food. They are saying the happiness to be gained um, by uh, Jews and some Muslims... Um, from eating meat that they know has been slaughtered in this manner, laid down um, in this way, trumps the increased suffering um, to cows and other animals um, that uh, is produced by that effect. Now, I think that humanists would disagree amongst themselves as People of all different sort of uh, beliefs would probably disagree amongst themselves as well as with each other um, about which should trump which in that situation. You know, is the uh, I mean, after all, Muslims could all, always just all give up beef. You know, yeah. when it comes to circumcision, obviously the same sort of balance applies. You're really saying, you know, um, is robbing you know, a, a male? But yeah, body. exactly. Right. Um, uh, and the deprivation thereby of the happiness that part might have brought them um, and the fulfilment that it might have brought them um, and perhaps the suffering that occurs at the time when it's done, all that depends what age babies or children at, of course, um, is that a price worth paying for the religious satisfaction and happiness of the parent? And again, you might come to different um, answers um, depending on your view. And I think it's far more likely, obviously, um, that a humanist is going to place the religious satisfaction um, of uh, a parent lower than the bodily integrity, which is pretty fundamental uh, to human dignity, the bodily integrity of a helpless child. Um, you're right, a religious person may well strike the balance the other way. And I think this is, this is what makes these questions difficult. Um, and my own personal conscientious view... Um, is coloured by the fact that, especially in the real world, some of those who are arguing um, around religious slaughter and around circumcision are doing so from quite prejudiced and bigoted motives as well. I mean, I was talking to um, uh, humanists in Norway, and one of the reasons why the Norwegian Humanist Association has not taken the positions on ritual slaughter and on uh, infant male circumcision that Humus UK and some other humanist organisations in the world have is specifically because they think that in the present social and political context um, the groups that are most likely to be arguing for banning these things actually have a different you know um, anti-Semitic or anti-Muslim agenda and that that shouldn't be uh, supported yeah, and I mean, that the proportionality is in, in you know they think that it's and it's not such an enormous harm that we shouldn't take those other social and political arguments into account when we're deciding what our response should be. Well it's the concern that you would win uh, a, a political battle on it but you'd win it because a significant number of the people who supported you were doing it to stick it to the Jews. Exactly the and that colours my, my, my own beliefs about this um, as well. Um, as an organisation uh, as you've said, Humanist UK 
does clearly uh, have policy on not allowing the non-medical circumcision of, of infant males and also on ending the exemption for religious slaughter from the general current prohibition on uh, stunning animals before um, you slaughter them. Um, in the wider debate, though, are these the big uh, burning issues for which we would go to the wall? No, obviously not. Um, I think, for example, the campaign against faith schools or on the school curriculum or on the contracting out of public services or on the Equality Act um, are all more important. I mean, the irony here is that... Uh secularism as we've said is something which works particularly well and is absolutely vital for uh religious people of all stripes in particular religious conservatives but yet it's that issue which probably makes it most difficult for religious conservatives who otherwise would buy into secularism. well you can make a very strong secularist argument to allow ritual slaughter of course um you uh, secularists who don't care about non-human animals could allow rich you know it would all, it could almost be a positive a secularist virtue mm. to allow ritual slaughter right um because that way you would be making a, a just exemption you know in a proportionate way to protect the freedom of religion and belief of people who who wanted religious slaughter um so i don't think that's a hard one for secularists it's harder for um uh, people who care about animal suffering uh, non-human animal suffering i think this the, the circumcision question is genuinely um, one in which there would seem to be a clear secularist line, but again, only if you take the human rights of children to be important. Or if you regard the harm as a particularly significant one, in which case you would only ever reach one particular conclusion on that issue. And that's an argument for maybe getting round to it last after you've dealt with all the other issues. I don't think it's an argument for allowing circumcision, but it might be, it might be as you said, an argument for saying, well, it's at the bottom of the list. So you know, it's a kind of things that you're messianic going moment in eschatology <laughs> for, for humanists. Once so. everything else is <laughs> Once done, everything else then, is in then order. we'll be celebrating the non-circumcision day, whatever it is the Christians have for Jesus, but the opposite for us, that's right. Andrew Copson, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much for joining Joining us on Next in Q. Thank you. You've been listening to the Next in Q podcast, brought to you by Quilliam International, the civil society movement challenging extremism. Please support our work by becoming a member of Quilliam Circle at quilliaminternational.com forward slash circle. Tune in next time to see what's next in Q.